Welcome back, dreamers, to the Dolphin Dreams podcast. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Limerick, and each week I take a deep dive into the deep Disney vault. Today we're digging up some of the oldest family drama I could possibly find as we revisit Disney's Hercules. Now joining me today is a total Hercules in his own right and a massive Disney fan, Instagram's The Gay Gaston. In the second episode, guest Ashley Griffin and I discussed the launch of the Disney Renaissance with The Little Mermaid. If you haven't listened yet to it, you should pause now and go check it out. No, really. We can all wait, right guys? Okay, you're back? Great. Okay, now, picture it. Burbank, 1992. Because of the success of The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, 30 artists, writers, and animators were asked to pitch ideas for potential feature films. The catch was they were each given only two minutes to present their pitch. The first pitch was for an adaption of The Odyssey, which would enter production the following summer, but would ultimately be abandoned because it was just going to be too long, lacked a consistent cast of central characters, and would fail to translate into an animated comedy. Now, animator Joe Hader wanted to pitch a story based in Greek mythology, but assumed all chances were gone when work on the Odyssey had stopped. He brought in a brief sketch and a pitch that would set the audience during the Trojan War, where both sides wanted to have Hercules on their side. Then, after a series of Herc's choices, where he hasn't truly considered any consequences for his actions, he learns humility and gets the idea that strength isn't always the answer. It was immediately approved for development, but in the end, Hader didn't move forward with the project. So November 1992 arrives, along with the success of Aladdin for directors Ron Clements and John Musker. Yeah, the mermaid guys. You're going to hear a lot about them this season. We just heard about them last episode. <laughs> they were working to develop and redevelop a project entitled Treasure Planet. Yes, that Treasure Planet. And don't worry, there's an upcoming episode this season. Clements and Musker handed over their ideas to Aladdin screenwriters Ted Elliott and Terry Rosario to develop a full treatment and script, leaving them with a bit more time to take on something new. Jeffrey Katzenberg, deep enemy of the pod, who at the time was chairman of Walt Disney Studios, didn't care for the project. I mean, who's, who's surprised at this point? I mean but did strike an agreement that he would greenlight the future development of Treasure Planet if, and only if, the directors would direct a commercially viable film first. I mean, with everything we know about Katzenberg, I'm not surprised that this was how the deal happened, but like, fuck. So Clements and Musker turned down proposals for films like Don Quixote, The Odyssey, and Around the World in 80 Days. But when they heard Hater's pitch, they felt there was a chance to do a true superhero movie. When you start to look at the story that would be Disney's Hercules and look at the story of Superman and DC Comics, there are a huge set of painful parallels to these heroes' journeys, which I will talk about with past guest Case Aiken on an upcoming bonus episode to be released next week. And in true Disney fashion, the movie underwent a massive amount of research to figure out how to best work the traditional Greek tale of Heracles. Uh, but after consulting with historians and Greek scholars, it was decided it was best to deviate from the original story Hater had put down. In the original, Hercules was born outside of marriage of Zeus and Hera. Big shocker if you know even the slightest thing about Greek mythology. And Clements remarked that the illegitimacy would be difficult subject matter for a Disney movie, so he and Musker thought of a different way he could be half man and half god. They moved more towards making Hades the villain instead of Hera. The underworld seemed like such a fascinating 
place full of dark images. The contrast with Olympus, just pure pearl and gleaming gold. It seemed to have all of these kind of visual possibilities. And during this time, the directors were inspired by the correlations of the popularity of Hercules in comparison to the contemporary era, stating that Hercules was so much like Michael Jordan and other athletes of the time. The original version of the script took inspiration from screwball comedy films of the mid-century, pulling examples from actors like Jimmy Stewart and Barbara Stanwyck in films like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, The Lady Eve, and Meet John Doe. Unlike a lot of the films I've researched so far, casting for this film took so many twists and turns before we got to the final cast of this film. The role of Phil was always written with Danny DeVito in mind, but DeVito declined audition several times, so actors like Ed Asner, Ernest Borgnine, uh, Dick Latessa were brought in to read, and apparently after Red Buttons, who's a Disney alum, left his audition, he said, I know what they're going to do. They're going to give that part to the Danny DeVito kid. So shortly after, the directors, along with the producer, Alice Dewey, approached DeVito over lunch during his filming of the film Matilda, where DeVito eventually agreed to sign the role. Now, Donny Osmond originally auditioned for the speaking voice of Hercules, but he was turned down because the voice was apparently too deep, which just makes me laugh because I just don't think of Osmond in that way. But he would go on to be the singing voice of bisexual icon and all-around dreamboat Ling Shang uh, in Mulan, who was speaking voice by B.D. Wong. Meanwhile, a little-known actress named Susan Egan auditioned for every Disney film starting with Beauty and the Beast, and she would go on to land that title role in the original Broadway production. When she found out about Hercules, she actively pursued the role of Megara. But when Alan Menken found out about her plans, he initially blocked her from going after the part. Now, Mencken felt the female lead was supposed to be cynical, a smartass, and sounding nothing like the sweet innocence of Belle. He would eventually relent, and she auditioned for the role with Mencken in the Beating the Beast that musical director Michael Kosarin and the filmmakers while they all sat behind a table with their eyes closed. It sounds ridiculous, but how else can you see a voice actor in the role of an animated role that hasn't been animated yet? Now, months later, once her performance had been synced up with some test animation, Egan won the role. And Meg originally had a song called I Can't Believe My Heart, but supervising animators felt it was too out of character, and Mankin would compose I Won't Say I'm In Love specifically for her instead. Now, what's funny for this about me, because of how timelines work, Beauty and the Beast opened on Broadway approximately in 1994. This came out in 1997. So, I always... Um, equated her with both of these and thought that she fit this much better than she fit Beauty and the Beast, but here we are. The most difficult character for them to pin down was the actor to play the central villain, Hades. Once Danny DeVito was signed, he suggested that Jack Nicholson should play Hades. DeVito, with the studio's blessing, reached out to Nicholson, stating that the studio would be willing to pay him $500,000 for the role, but Nicholson demanded 10 to $15 million plus 50% cut of all proceeds for the Hades merchandise. Disney was unmoving and unwilling to share proceeds of merchandise with the actor. They counter-offered a smaller amount, and Nicholson eventually decided to pass on the project. Now, for us, that must seem like a massive amount of money, but Nicholson at RC had such a huge amount of his career happen, and he had played the iconic Joker, which I'm sure he'd been able to get a similar agreement with Burton for that film. Clements and Musker were, of course, disappointed in Nicholson's refusal, but by the fall of 1994, they had settled on John Lithgow in the role. 
But only nine months later in 1995, after trying to make Lithgow's performance quote-unquote work, Lithgow was released from the role. After uh, actors like Ron Silver, James Coburn, Kevin Spacey, Phil Hartman, Michael Ironside, Terrence Mann, and Martin Landau were all fabled to have come through the revolving casting door before James Woods was invited to audition. And luckily for everyone, in October of 1995, Woods was hired to fill the role. Production designer and cartoonist Gerald Scarif was invited to tour Disney Studios, where, with special permission from the studio, Scarif was hired as a production designer for Hercules. Now, Scarif and animators, alongside other filmmakers, embarked on a research journey through Greece and Turkey in order to research classic mythology and design. When production started, Scarif's style proved to be too fluid and chaotic for the animators, so stylist Sue Nichols created reference charts for the animators with elements of Scarif's style, as well as Classic Grief's illustrations, to adapt their work. As time progresses, Disney film begins to see more and more use of digital art to complete the overall vision. In Hercules, Hades' head and face were animated, but a digital program was used to create the flowing flames of his hair. Uh, and the Hydra in the final scene was a digital marvel. The Hydra was sculpted with clay and wire. Then the dimensions were digitized into a computer where wire frames were fully animated. It was decided early on in production that the beast would end up with about 30 heads. And thanks to the digital graphics department, one main head could be created and replicated in a server and serve all 30 uh, heads shown on screen. The soundtrack for Hercules has become a fan favorite and was composed by Alan Menken with lyrics by David Zippel and orchestrated by Tr Daniel Trube and Michael Storben. And it featured voices of Susan Egan, LaShawn, Elise White, Roger Bart, and so many more. In February of 1997, a huge natural promotion tour kicked off featuring interactive exhibits, Greek-themed carnival games, and rides. Disney would also utilize similar marketing tours for Pocahontas and Hunchback. Now, this tour culminated in the movie premiere at the New Amsterdam Theater on 42nd Street in New York City on June 14th of 1997. This premiere was accompanied by an electric light parade that started at 66th Street and 5th Avenue and concluded in front of the theater on 42nd Street in Times Square. This caused a huge amount of controversy with Mayor Ed Koch, objecting to handing over the city to Disney. And critics raised questions about what politicians and political offices were willing to do to give a private firm in return for investments. Now, over 100 members of the National Association of Broadcast Employees and Technicians used the occasion to strike for new contracts with Disney and ABC. I think the mayor gave away this city to Disneyland. It's hard not to look at that quote and think about my most recent visit to Times Square and go, well, you're not wrong, but is it a bad thing? For most people who don't know, the 90s saw a Disneyfication of Times Square. They got rid of the porn theaters and the drugs and the sex workers and things and turned it into a shopping mall. But really, a lot of what they got rid of was what made New York, New York. And they got rid of New York in favor of the tourists. But here we are. Unfortunately, the film did not live up to Wall Street's analysts' expectations of the film. Based on extensive market research that was rooted around Aladdin, Hercules was expected to make between $125 and $150 million in the U.S. alone. But in reality, it would only gross around $99 million domestic, but it would make about $300 million worldwide. Additionally, in general, it wasn't well received by film critics or fans, but I'll get more into that with our guest, the gay guest, on later. Now, no Disney movie is without controversy. 
And the film was originally set to open at an open-air presentation at Phoenix Hill, but the Greek government refused after it was panned by their media and their general public. Many Greek people still feel to this day that it misrepresents and appropriates their history and their culture, which I guess isn't shocking considering that's most of what American media does is it's a colonization of entertainment of other people's stories, even as we feel that maybe the Greek people are so separated from this because it's so many thousands of years. But who are we to say? Now, hang tight. I'll tell you what the Grecian earns when we return after this short break. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited to have today's guest with us. He puts the hunk in Hunkules. I want to welcome the gay Gaston. How are you doing? Oh, great. I have a little bit of a cold, but otherwise, great. <laughs> great. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself if they haven't heard of you? Um, well, like professionally, I'm a concierge in New York, but I'm a big uh, Disney fanatic, um, I worked for a little while at Disney World, also as concierge. I did their college program years ago. Back, I went to NYU and for hotel management, and then took a semester off because I always one love Disney, but also think they're like a great example of wonderful customer service. So I was eager to get down there and see how they do things and I knew that I always wanted to work there so I was eager to do that so I worked I was based at Coronado Springs I don't know if anyone's Disney World fan but that's where I was based and then um, I asked them to move me around as much as they like I got to work a little bit at um, yeah so I worked at Coronado Springs I worked at Animal Kingdom Lodge I worked at the Yacht and Beach Club. Yacht and Beach Club was definitely my favorite. But that's um, so bougie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I worked down there for a while and then moved back to New York. And um, I never modeled really in my life, but I remember when I was younger, I always wanted to. And I had my mom get me a little, I was probably like, I don't know, 11, 12 or something, get myself an agent. And we went on all sorts of like modeling cattle calls where it was like hundreds of people and they would just look at you and say, no, <laughs> or like they, um, which was great for like a 12 year old closeted gaze, uh, self-esteem when you're already at that age where like your self-esteem is very fragile. I remember I went on like one, and my brother was there, who's like a couple of years younger than me. And he he was only there because he had to be, not because he wanted to be. And he was not even auditioning. Right. He was just like sitting there playing his little Game Boy in the waiting room. And they like come over to us and they're like, look at me, look past me and look at him. And they're like, we want him. I'm like, he doesn't even want it. What are you? Oh, no. <laughs> so my little uh, 12-year-old modeling career was short-lived. I think after like six rejections, I was like, I, I quit. So then, um, fast forward years and years later, um, there was a photographer on Instagram whose work I always thought was beautiful, and I followed him, and he always photographs very beautiful people very beautifully, and he was 
in New York. He's from New Orleans, but he was in New York and posted something about being on the F train or something. And he like, I forget who he saw, but it was like some sexy, hunky celebrity. And he's like, you come to New York and this is what I get to see on the F train. And like, I'm sitting on also on the F train. And it's like this like mountain of this homeless person who like was not pleasantly I didn't have a pleasant aroma. It was just, like, bags and bags and bags and clothes that seemed like they had never been washed. And I, like, responded. I was like, wait, you see that on the F train? And this is what I see on the F train. And then, like, <laughs> we both just happened to be, like, near each other. And we were, like, joking and talking. And then I was like, oh, I, if you ever want a new model to shoot, I don't know how long you're in New York, I would totally love to. And uh, he's like, oh, well, I don't – I'm here for shoots. Everything's pretty booked up. I don't have any um, – free time but maybe next time I'm in New York and then the next day he messaged me and was like oh one of my shoots got cancelled if you want to uh, coordinate we can maybe make it happen so I went over and that was the first time I ever that was probably about last May maybe oh, nice. um, but his thing his name is uh, Tate and his Instagram is Tate Photo I think um, but he oh, does, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he mostly does like people in bathtubs so like I had never been in front of a camera really before in that capacity and um also um yeah I don't know he just he's also uh like hearing impaired so it was like interesting to kind of navigate that and he create I don't know I just felt like very comfortable he we had a great time and then afterwards he sent me the shots and I was like very surprised like not that I I never thought of myself as like overly attractive or anything of that sort but I saw some of these photos and I was like wow like that is that even me like I don't even and I was like very very pleased with some of them and very very unpleased with other ones I guess we're all gonna have our own own, um self-criticisms but then I was like all right well like I saw parts of my body that I liked and saw parts I was like, well, you know what? I can probably be in better shape than I am right now. Or So then I kind of got back into CrossFit hardcore and focused on that and kind of decided to try to be more mindful of what I was eating. And not that I was any sort of crazy dieting, but just not having dessert every night or like drinking yeah. more water and sleeping more. And then he put me in touch with some other photographer, put me in touch with another photographer, and then it just kind of grew and grew and then... Um, then some brands reached out to me and then, um, so I don't know. So then it kind of just took off from there, but it all started from that. That's awesome. Yeah. I found you probably about six, seven months ago and I just kind of liked your brain and how you are, you're very body positive and, and inclusive and kind of have just kind of this open air, which I really love, but also combined it with like Disney and things. And I was like, well, we got to get this guy on the show. Um, what made you pick like the gay Gaston as like your tag and kind of your brand that you run with? So originally that was not my Instagram tagline. It was like a more based on my, um, but it was um, like I kept started posting some of these photos from the photo shoot, and my boss kind of kept making comments about how she thought they were a little naughty or a little more like not naughty, but like perhaps inappropriate for the professional setting. And like majority <laughs> yeah. of my like followers were like just my fellow work people, fellow concierge people. Um, so they, then I decided, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll make a second Instagram and post these there. And my like more 
personal pub, like self stuff on another one. And that's like, so I was trying to think of something to name the second Instagram. Um, and I knew I wanted something gay for sure. And something Disney for sure. So I'm, was trying to think back. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the musical fun home or not. Oh yes. Oh yes. Broadway fanatic. But my favorite thing about that show was the song ring of keys just because it, so like for anyone who hasn't seen the show, it's about this, uh, lesbian girl. And there's three versions of herself in the show. There's like her, like eight year old version, her like college age version, and then her adult age version. And you kind of see her like coming out and coming to terms with herself and her relationship with her closeted father and such. But the ring of keys moment, she is like, she's like seven or eight in a diner with her dad. And this delivery woman comes in like delivering milk, I think. And she is like completely in awe of this woman and like she's at too young to recognize it as maybe attraction to the woman, but she's just like thinks she's like so cool and she like wants to um like aspire to look like her and be as comfortable as she in her own skin as she is and she's like think had the woman has this ring of this key ring that she sings a song about and that's um so like that's like moment of like budding homosexuality or like when you're like too young to make sense of it um that was like a moment that we all have that i hadn't really Mm -hmm. seen depicted before really and in like any books or movies or anything like you don't really see that moment when you're that young so i was trying to think back of what mine was when i first started to get like a inkling that i might be gay or different or um anything and the moment for me would probably be when i was watching beauty and the beast and gaston rips his shirt open showing off his hairy chest when he says every last inch of me is covered in hair i remember just sitting there like maybe at the age of like six or seven and being like Hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, like I want to watch that again. <laughs> and That's like, awesome. Like and not necessarily um, knowing that it was maybe attraction or not or whatever, right. but I was just like intrigue and like I remember thinking like, okay, I'm supposed to be intrigued by Belle, but for some reason I'm intrigued, <laughs> but or like supposed to be as as society has grown us up to believe. Yeah. So. Um, then, like, years later, I guess I grew my own hairy chest, and then with all the crossfit and such, it's, I don't know. Um, so I just thought that was kind of too... Nice. No, I think it's great. I think it's, it's a really, uh, really fun brand to kind of run with and gives you kind of the, the that kind of um, area to bring that kind of Disney magic into uh, the kind of the... I don't, I don't want to use adult in the way that we use adult, but like in the, like a grown spectrum for people who are Disney fans because the nostalgia of Disney is like so wide reaching now. And the whole idea of like childless millennials going to Disney is like a brand. And so I think it's a really interesting tie in. Um, so has Disney always kind of been a part of your life? Um, yeah, I've always just always been obsessed with it. <laughs> um, nice. yeah, like, me too. I mean, back when we had like that little in our little back room by our den we had like that wall of vhs's and then like that one shelf was all the disney ones and those 
puffy cases. Yeah, and clam shells. <laughs> sit there and like look at them all and pick which one I want. Like I don't know, that's literally all I ever wanted to watch. And also like um, Disney World, I would like drag my family to. Like I mean, <laughs> not that they didn't like it. I mean, my dad definitely yeah. didn't like it, but my. Like any chance, like this was like all I wanted to do every trip, and my dad was like, "Let's go to countries." I'm like, "Who needs countries? Let's go to Epcot." I'm like, well, <laughs> "Epcot's got all the countries." <laughs> yeah, or like, uh, um, and then yeah, like when my family went on a trip to California, and I was like, not, "I was like, there's not even an option that we're going to just and like I plan like I remember like." figuring out the hotel and how far Disneyland was from where we were going to be and like mapping it out. <laughs> I was like booking this and booking dinners and booking that and whatever. And like, I mean, I was just, yeah, it was not an option. I love that. Yeah. But yeah, my family, we went like every few years growing up. And then, um, I remember we went actually on like new year's of like, 1999 into the millennium wow my mom like planned that with like a bunch of our cousins like years in advance i guess but um and that was i remember i'll like never forget that just being there like and everyone like nervous that like the world was gonna end with (laughs) y2k and all this and like but like the hordes and hordes of people and we were in epcot and they had like i mean epcot does like their new year's Because they'll celebrate, they'll have like a party at the midnight at the time in each country where it is midnight in mm-hmm. that country. Um, mm-hmm. And then just the fireworks were insane and it was just so, 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 I mean, it was packed as hell, but great. And I remember like afterwards, like after midnight, the park was probably open until like two or three or who knows what time. But my mom was like, you're not going on any more rides after midnight if the computer's malfunction, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I was just like, I want to do test track. <laughs> oof, oof, that, I love that. Yeah, but then, um, then we, like once I got into high school and college, I would go at least once a year, like every chance I could get, I would, and I had a a lot of my friends also were Disney fans. And, um, then when I graduated NYU, um, I was like very determined not to move back home. So I had three jobs to help pay for rent. So I literally went from like, I was a waiter, I was working in a hotel. And then my third job conveniently was working at the world of Disney over on fifth Avenue. (laughs) Oh, I missed that store. Yeah. Oh, I loved when that was there. So that was so. I mean, I, I one, I loved it, but two, my main motivation for wanting to work there was like, I think uh, because it was like actually r- only sold mm-hmm. like Disney parks merchandise. Like it was mm-hmm. like affiliated with the world of Disney in both like downtown Disney's. Mm-hmm. Um, you were technically like a full time cast member and would get like a main gate pass. So I was like, like I was like, I'm working there for like my measly $7 an hour or whatever it was, which was really helpful towards my rent, but I didn't care. I was like, that means I get to go to Disney (laughs) for free. So like, (laughs) absolutely. I can't afford to get there, but it's free. (laughs) I don't, I do not miss when New York, uh, pay was that low. I was there about the same time and it was just, I, I slung t-shirts at my kid and I was like, I can't eat, but God, I love being in New York, but I loved 
Yeah, and this was before the, the, the new Disney store that's in Times Square as Mickey Mouse has taken over. But I, I miss that because it was that way of if you wanted to go to the parks in Florida, but you couldn't, you could go to that World of Disney store and get just a little glimpse. And they had mean great characters. And I, it was so cool. I was bummed when they closed it. But, but Fifth Avenue real estate so expensive. So, I, you know, I did it. Yeah. Disney. <laughs> I was always obsessed with like the third floor where like all the art was. And mm-hmm, all, like, I like mm-hmm. won it all, and it was all like millions of dollars. But my favorite thing was like when the store was closing, and they were like having like closeout sales, and everything was like fifty percent off. I went up there and like Ooh. bought everything, like my credit card. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I need this four foot figure of Mickey Mouse. Yes, I need. <laughs> Of course you do. Of course you do. Um, so today we're talking about the movie Hercules, uh, which is one of my all-time favorites. And so what uh, what are kind of some of your earliest memories of the movie or like what, what keeps drawing you back into the movie? Um, well, it's my second favorite for sure of any of the Disney movies. My t- number one is Little Mermaid. I think mostly, well, one, because I always had a secret crush on Eric, but two, <laughs> I love Ursula, and I think that was possibly like the first Disney movie I saw, I think, or like the first yeah, one I remember fine. seeing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the opening of that, like the castle with that music, is like what I always mm-hmm. associate with Disney. And then Hercules, for sure, would be my number two. Um, and I don't think I saw it growing up, I saw it like later in high school. Like, I don't know how. Yeah, it, me too. It kind of, like, I remember, like, it probably came out at the time when you I was like a young teenager and was like so at the age where I was like too cool for cartoons kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to watch that. I want to watch like Fight Club because that's cool or like whatever. When I was like in massive denial of my being gay and trying to find like the straightest things I could watch. Um, <laughs> but um, then I watched Hercules and was like, fell absolutely in love with it. It is like snarky and funny and sweet and endearing and the music is so great and the animation is so unique and I mean so I love Meg I think Meg is possibly my favorite Disney character Mm -hmm. um yeah probably Meg um So I don't know. I just totally fell in love with it. And I think I didn't expect to love it that much because also the animation does look like, I mean, I have, I know people have, who I've talked to about Hercules and like, Oh, the animation is terrible. I'm like, no, the animation is amazing. <laughs> like it's yeah. like, totally like intentional. Like I have, you know, those little art of Disney books. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I have the Hercules one and to see like all the concepts and to see how it, I don't know, like even just like that moment where he like, throws the frisbee wait, where oh no, no 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 at the beginning i forget why or like he throws the lightning bolt and it goes through like one of the columns and it kind of like mm-hmm. reforms i don't know if you um i don't know i just yeah. absolutely love it i think it's some of the best disney music it's so fun it's like campy uh, so yeah i would say that's my number two then probably princess and the frog after that nice yeah, it's it's so interesting when people talk about Hercules because you got the diehards who love it, and then you got a lot of people that just kind of rag all over it, a lot of it for animation, which a lot of critics at the time, too, were like, oh, it looks cheap, it looks flat, and that was kind of the point of the, the artist they brought in to be the production designer because he did 
art. Like he was a, a visual artist um, and like a scenic designer. And like, so he did these conceptual opera sets and kind of production designs and that's what they wanted because this is supposed to look different because it's supposed to look like a flat Greek vase but then also pop out into the full animation and it was when they started playing with the digital animation as well on a larger scale um, that's how we got the entire Hydra scene but I think it's Disney trying a lot of things that they hadn't before and telling a unique uh, you all, I mean whether any sort of Disney stories unique is a question, but I think they were trying to do something different, especially because this was approaching the end of the Disney Renaissance when they were kind of untouchable at the beginning. Like this one didn't do as well, um, but I love it. And I think the score for me is just so rich and so fantastic. I mean, it's another Alamankin score and he just can do no wrong. Um, and just that idea of combining the gospel with that idea of uh the, the Greek story um, and some of my students and I were talking about it the other day and they were like I love the gospel but I don't get it and I was like well would you want to hear like Gregorian chants tell the story of Hercules I don't really know I think it was just an interesting way to step it up um, but I do think it was interesting Alan Menken was working on Beauty and the Beast on Broadway with Susan Egan who would go on to voice Megara and he was like you can't do this movie you're not right you're not going to get the role I'm not letting you audition you're just not doing it. And then she finally convinced him and they were like, oh yeah, she's perfect. She's got the role. Because he was like, you're too sweet. Belle is sweet. Um, Megara is snarky and, and kind of a, a smart ass. And that's not, you're none of those things. Well, I, and just, I just, I, oh, sorry. I just saw her. Um, so there's a show in New York called the Broadway Princess Party. Um, no, Laura Osnes does it, right? Yeah. Sorry. That's Laura Osnes's party uh yeah, so it's, year, right? um, yeah i think it's a, it was originally her and um courtney reed who was like the original jasmine on broadway mm -hmm. uh so it's them two and then um they usually bring a few guests who's either like played broadway princesses or princesses on broadway or in movies or whatever the case may be and i think they do it like a couple of times a year like three or four times a year yeah and then it's like grown and grown and grown and now it like tours around and this and that but I just saw it for the first time this past week, and the guests were, well, Susan Egan, I guess, did it a few months or years back and, like, totally fell in love with it. So now she became, like, a staple of it. So now it's the three of them. Oh, it's, like, always Laura Osnes, Susan Egan, and Courtney Reed, mostly always them. Uh, but the other guests were, um, well, anyway, but <clears throat> she, Susan Egan, was talking about that and... I mean, it sounded like she was cast in, based on what she said, as Meg first. So when they were doing Hercules, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it sounded like, because then they were doing auditions for Belle, and they, they were, were, yeah, and they, she was, they were like, no, you're, you're, you're like perfect as Meg, but you're not like, like, she was saying like, well, I mean, what the moment I remember, she's like, she's like, I went in there and I showed them how sweet I could be, and she's like. Now this is me acting, Meg. That's how I am. That's literally me. <laughs> but this nice Belle version. This is, she's like, I was going I was determined to show them how I could act and be that role. Um, yeah. But yeah, what well, also? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. What I also didn't realize. Um, so one of the other guests. Well, also they had Jody Benson that week. I was mm -hmm, there, mm -hmm. uh, and they had Krista Rodriguez, and. Chris, who was Meg in the public's the public, work yeah. version this summer. Um, and I didn't realize they both went to like the same high school. 
also, which is pretty awesome. They're both Megs. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> and they sang a virgin. They sang "I Won't Say I'm in Love" together, like dueling <gasps> Megs. And I was like totally no. on cloud nine. I, I'll, I'll. That's I, amazing. I think I posted the video on my Instagram, but I'll. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll go look for it. It's um pretty awesome to see the two of them because like you could tell Krista like kind of idolizes Susan and Susan like absolutely adores Krista and like I don't know it's pretty awesome oh I love that that's so great oh yeah it's weird because like Hercules started production in like 1992 um, and so like they were casting in 93 which was the same time they were casting Beauty and the Beast and so Alan Menken was working with her a lot across the board it's very strange it's a very muddled time because I always thought they, yeah, I always thought that like Hercules was first and then Beauty and the Beast and then some of the accounts of Annie it was like the same time it was very strange well and like Jody Benson uh, was also in a Broadway show with Howard Ashman, and that's how he like recruited her for Little Mermaid. And so it's just it's all these things of like uh, like my love of Broadway and my love of Disney always end up kind of connecting even beyond the like the Disney theatrical sector. Um, but what's interesting I find is that like a lot of critics didn't really like the movie when it came out. Uh, according to Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an 84% rating uh, with critics, but only about 55 reviews of the movie, and that's from, like, 1997 to 2002 years ago, like, to 2017. Um, and it's only got a 76 audience score, which is sh- shocking to me, but only about 389,000 uh, users have rated it where Little Mermaid, which was my second episode, the one before this, um, had 999,000 um, users. So it's like the users aren't even kind of seeking out it enough to care to go and like post about it online. But there's this consensus across the board that the critics thought it was fast paced and packed with dozens of uh, dozens of pop culture references, but and that Hercules might not measure up to a true Disney classic in the pantheon, but it's plenty of fun. I don't necessarily agree with that at all. Like, to also when you're comparing something to the entire pantheon of Disney, I know they're trying to make a Greek joke of the pantheon, but like, we have different eras of Disney movies for a reason because I don't think it's always smart to like compare Little Mermaid with Snow White because they were so different in why they were created. And Hercules, I think, was doing something so different. Um, inside of the Disney Renaissance because Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin proved that they were kind of getting these knockouts and that Aladdin was also kind of a very new way to tell a story. So you're going to have ones that aren't going to be able to be as successful as the other ones that are still good and still really plausible in the canon. And so I think it's I think it's interesting just the fact that they're like, well, it's fine, but I don't know if it measures up as a Disney classic. Because for me, I, th- I think it's a definite Disney classic. It's one of my top five. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And it was, it's also, like, so weird to me as any time, like I mentioned, like, I mean, anyone who meets me for three minutes knows I'm a Disney fan. They're like, oh, right. this, you're, like, wearing a Mickey ear. Like, why are you wearing Mickey ears in the middle of <laughs> New York? Or, like, why do you have, like, Mickey on your case or this, that, whatever. But, like, then Disney always ends up coming up. And I'm always, like, curious what everyone's favorite Disney movie is. And, like... So many people have not seen Hercules. Like my age type, I'm 32. Like I'm like, how have you not seen this? Like, like I mean, yeah. Either they're like obsessed with it, or they're like, yeah, I saw it and I didn't love it. Or like when I was young. But I'm like, if you were to watch it, like, now, like I think anyone now who sees it, who's like, 
would love it. Like I can't, but I just like, yeah. like I can't understand how it kind of went under the radar by a lot of people. Um, like it's like everyone's seen Little Mermaid, everyone's seen Aladdin, everyone's yeah. seen Lion King, Hercules. I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's 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 strange because I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was a kid. My dad, well, my parents are Southern Baptist and they're loving people. They're absolutely wonderful. I get my love of Disney from my father, but um, that was when like. 94 hit in gay days was allowed at Disney World for the first time. And so, like, my whole, like, the Southern Baptist Convention boycotted Disney. Um, and they were like, oh, we don't want anything where we talk about the gods and goddesses. And I wasn't allowed to see Hunchback because of Hellfire and kind of naked women and fire and this darkness in Disney. And so I didn't actually probably watch it until I was... I probably saw her case for the first time about 10 years ago. 15 years ago. So like I was in my twenties at that point. And so I, uh, 1920 and then I immediately fell in love, like just immediately. And for me, I think the muses are my favorite part of the movie. Um, but I've always been drawn to Disney villains. And despite James Woods being a garbage pail of a human being, Hades is such a cool <laughs> villain to, Oh God, I don't <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast episode, but he's such a cool villain. And like, uh, you were talking about Ursula earlier. I talked about in our Little Mermaid episode that, like, even before I had words to, like, connect with, like, not feeling connected to the gender I was assigned or, like, seeing this beautiful plus-size, like, positive, evil person. It was like, oh, she's so cool. And I had no clue she was designed after a drag queen. And so it's this idea that, like, all of these things as an adult I needed, but I was like, man, I could have used this as a kid. Also, I probably would have started going to the gym if I'd watched Hercules as a kid. I would have probably played way more sports than I did. <laughs> and that way I would look a little more like Hercules and a little less like Dionysus. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all good. That's the journey we're on. <laughs> but the, uh, Yeah, I think like on my little wall of Disney, like I don't think I even owned it. I think it was like the one. Like, we owned everything. I mean, I don't think we owned that, and probably not, like, the Black Cauldron, maybe. <laughs> like, I think we had well, every- no, Nobody owned the Black Cauldron. But I love the Black Cauldron now. As an, as an adult, I love I love the Black Cauldron. We're actually going to do an episode on it later this season. Um, yeah, two listeners. For, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two whole listeners. Well, I you know, I figure 20, 2020 is the 25th anniversary, so why not? So we're actually releasing an episode on the actual 25th anniversary, they um, might, which um, I think is really exciting. Is it true? I mean, they're doing all the like live-action remakes of everything. Are has that one been rumored to have been one? I have no idea. It it uh, at Disney twenty three. It was uh, I believe it was D twenty three or it was around it. There there were so many announcements of live action stuff, but it's confirmed they are going to do a live action of it. And honestly, I think it could be really cool now that Disney's not quite you know post pirates. Disney's not as afraid of getting dark and digging in a little bit. And to me, the Horn King is the scariest villain ever. Yeah. So I think it'd be I think it'd be cool for them to to do a live action. Um, uh, I mean, they're doing a live action of everything. Uh, I was reading an interesting article about the idea of the Murphy's law of the internet, which is if something uh, can be formed, it can be unformed and reformed. And so it's that idea of like, well, of course, as long as there's an animated version, someone's always going to want to do a live action or a musical. I think we've seen that in musicals 
more than we saw. And, you know, Disney's recently done it, but, I mean, we've had 10 years of movie musicals on Broadway now. It's pretty much all that's on Broadway right now. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's so, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things, but I think, you know, it could be, you know, it'll be something. But, you know, we kind of talk through things that we like and, and, and whatnot. Is there anything with Hercules that you would have maybe wanted to see done differently? Any plot points, any little changes you would make in the film? Hmm. I don't really think about that. I don't think like, like the only part that I don't love is like, for some reason, the animation when he's like young Hercules, not baby Hercules, Mm -hmm. baby is adorable, but like the like teenage Hercules and like that whole scene with like the little teenagers, like Hercules, like that whole moment, like the animation Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. looks like, um, like the TV show version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The TV show. I always forget about the TV show, which retcons quite a bit of the movie actually. Um, but uh, you know, it brought up a little bit in my, my research of that. Um, but other than that, no, I, I like, I like don't have any, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think the, the voice cast like Danny DeVito is perfect as Phil. And so Susan Egan is like there, and Pain and Panic yeah. are both so great. Also, it I feel like of all the Disney movies, it was like so well suited to become a musical that I can't believe it took I so agree. long. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I had to do a scenic project a couple years ago, and I was like, well, I want to do a set for Hercules because it's bound to be coming at some point. <laughs> well, it, um. So yeah, so I love 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 public works, and I, they do a show every at the end of every summer, mm-hmm. and it's like what's so great about it is that it's like two a cast of like two hundred fifty people probably, mm-hmm. and they're just like people from you have like postal workers and you have bus drivers mm-hmm. and you have like mm-hmm. hot dog cart people and you have like also little performing groups and dance groups and runners and gymnast and like just like people from all five boroughs of new york and then they get to perform alongside of like true broadway talent yeah. and put on and it's usually just one weekend and yeah. this time they did it for two weekends, but still wasn't enough. Um, <laughs> like I think and they, they extended they, it again, didn't they? They extended it a couple days more. Well, they like added yeah they one more show, and then it was like impossible to get a ticket. Like I remember, well, I mean, I feel kind of guilty because I got to see it three times, but that was like <sighs> I, and also like once they announced it, I like lost my mind, and then it was all distributed. Because the tickets are free, but yeah. unless yeah. you're like a um, lottery, um, so I like everyone I know had entered that lottery, and I didn't know a single soul who won it, like not one. <laughs> um, so then I was like, okay, well that's not great. So they were also doing then like an in-person lottery the day mm-hmm. of. So they did like the advanced digital lottery, and they did the one in person, and I was like what is the likelihood of these panning out? So I reached out. I'm being a concierge. Luckily I have a lot of connections around, but I reached out to everyone I knew possibly. <laughs> and I was like, by the way, just so you know, I'm desperate to see Hercules. Just putting that out there. Like Hercules is my <laughs> second favorite. Oh, did you know that? No, you didn't know. Well, <laughs> or like just literally I'd met uh, a, some friends who work at the public and I work with like ticket brokers and this and that, and just like casually put it out there to everyone in creation. And then like 
three of them got back to me and were like, oh, we were able to get you in. And, like, I didn't, I felt partly one, I was like, that's, I would love, like, when I love something, I'll see it a thousand times. But yeah, um, I also knew that, like, everyone was desperate to get it. So I, like, kind of felt bad. I was like, I, should I let these tickets go and let someone else get a chance to see it? But also, I didn't want to seem, like, ungrateful to these people who were playing this, like, huge favor for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was like, so, I mean, I was like, I brought friends who were equally as desperate to see it. Um, but it was like each time better than the next. And I was, it was like totally, even just like from the first few notes, I was like already in tears and the, the muses come out and I lost my mind. And then Meg comes out and I lose my mind. Like the whole thing, I was just like absolutely living for it. The first time I went, I like totally dressed up as Hercules. Cause last year me and my ex, we were Hercules and Meg for Halloween. <laughs> Cute, cute. So I like went in full Hercules garb, and then the second time I went, I had um, like you know how they have there's like all sorts of Etsy people who make like clothes for the run Disney. Oh yeah, races. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So there's like uh, someone who made like this like workout shirt that's but it's like looks like um, Hades, like it's like it's a little top. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I brought that, and my friend, who I asked to come, <laughs> like totally unplanned, we're standing there. We take off our jackets, and I'm wearing the Hades one, and he's wearing the Hercules one, like both from the I same, like from the same, <laughs> the same That's like awesome. work. It was ridiculous. Um, also, I went like one time. I went. I know James Woods was there, and I know like I think that same night also. Um, what's his name? Patrick Page was there. It was like. Hades, oh. Hades, and Hades, Hades. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, but it's, I heard rumor, and I don't know if it's true, that it's apparently eyeing to move into the Circle in the Square theater, like the little theater in the round next to Wicked. Um, yeah. And like, I don't. I'm sure that I heard. Who knows if that's true? But um, Ooh, I mean, that's some hot tea. You heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. Well. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping that it's true because one, it was like too good to end there. And I know it's going to be completely different than how it was here. Cause there's like, I mean, they're going to have to pare it down from a cast of 250 mm-hmm, people to mm-hmm. a typical Broadway sized cast. But also like, I mean, it's when you see the public works, like I also like cry every time just because you get to see all these people who like, some of them are mm-hmm. like postal workers who like somehow got signed up and are like, they're just like, having fun but then you see people who are like desperate to perform in the game to perform alongside like these broadway caliber people and in front of people in a large professional production like this and they're just like living their best life and it's like one of the most endearing and beautiful things to see but like some of them aren't like clearly not professionals which is like charming and fun in that but i think if when i do bring it to Broadway and recast some of those people as Broadway professionals, it'll just, like, amp up the production yeah. as well. And, like, I mean, it was... Because there was really great puppetry. Like, the Hydra was a puppet. All the, like... Yeah. Um, did you see it, or do you know anyone who's seen it? I, so, I saw, I saw um, a bunch of the images and video. Well, fun story. When they announced it was going to be a digital lottery, and, like, you could put in for, like, the four weeks ahead of time, yeah. I was like, oh, 
I could probably come up that weekend. You know, I could probably figure it out. We'll have a break. Slash, there's always a hurricane during that time uh, being in Florida. And so I put in, and then I won the lottery. What? And could not get up because of, well, because of the hurricane. I couldn't get out of town. Like oh flight-wise. So, and I called the public. I was like, can I give someone these tickets? And they were like, no, sorry. You just show up or don't. Someone else will get them. And I went, oh, okay. And it's literally, can I tell you the first lottery that I won since the hair, since hair was on Broadway in 2009? What? It is the first lottery I won. You're literally the only soul I know who won it. Like, literally, I remember well, posting on, like... Facebook and like, did anyone win this? <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah. my, like one person's like, my neighbor's aunt's dog secretary won. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I knew, I knew like one other friend that won that was keeping it really quiet. Well, and I had a bunch of friends that I was like, I'll split it up. If two people want to come together, I will give these tickets to anybody because I just want someone to see it. Because I was bummed because I wanted this to come for so long. But I think it's interesting for Disney to pair to, I mean, because Oklahoma is doing pretty well. It's selling through January right now, which is currently in that space. Um, but that would be normally Disney goes really big with shows for Disney theatrics. Um, example, Frozen is massive. <laughs> um, but like, I think it would be really cool for them to have a show that's as pared down because for a lot of our listeners at home, Circle in the Square is attached to a performing arts school. Um, and it's the only Broadway theater naturally built to be in the round, which means there are seats on all sides of the stage. So you are surrounded by the audience on all sides, which creates a lot of very particular challenges. Now, when Putnam County Spelling Bee was there, but they also- created a proscenium. Um, but I think it would be interesting to see what they would do with that space well, cause that's kind and of- pack people in. Well, that's kind of how it is in the Delacorte Theater. That's how, kind of how it was in the park, because that theater's kind of in the round. And, yeah. And then also, I mean, and it kind of plays into, like, classic, like, Greek theater, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. of how those, like, kind of stadiums are set up. Because they have, like, I mean, like, they had, like, hydra heads coming out from, like, the walkways of where you kind of, like, come up into the sets. So like they would oh, cool. probably be able to do that again, and yeah. Um, I mean, I'm re- I'm praying that this actually happens because, um, but then again, I also saw, um, Hunchback of Notre Dame when they did its like pre Broadway kind of test run mm-hmm. over at um outside the Paper city. Mill. Yeah. yeah, and it was one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, there's no way this is not coming to Broadway. And then it didn't. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, I know Hunchback was hard because of that giant choir, which yeah. I had several friends that were in it. And it was beautiful, but it's like, do you work out a contract with Equity, the, you know, the actors union where the choir isn't union, but everybody on stage is? Do you give everybody in that choir their equity card? Um, you know, how do you, how do you do those things? And I am, I'm really bummed out that her, uh, the Hunchback never came because it is my favorite Disney Broadway score just because of the largeness and the richness they were able to achieve with it. Um, it was unreal. I think there's some, Did you see I it by any chance? I, I didn't know. That was, I had just left. I was in New York State still, but I wasn't in the city. I remember. So I didn't get to come down for it. Like the first time, yeah, they do have that choir sitting there and like in the rafters of the church the whole time. And they would just like come in for certain moments of certain songs Mm -hmm. and this and that. And the first time they came in, I remember it just being like, because you have the full Broadway cast of like 20, 30 people, and then you have Mm -hmm. them joining them. And it just like, 
the first time they came in, it was just like totally like penetrating. Like the the sound was just like you had chills. Everyone in the theater it was unreal. Oh, I, I, but I would have wept. I would have just I cried. <laughs> but it um also uh I mean I guess it doesn't have like the mass appeal, and also it was definitely darker and i remember them having signs everywhere and printed on the tickets like for 14 and up only this that not recommended for children like it was literally everywhere yeah. and also it didn't say disney's or maybe it did but I, for some reason rec- remember it not saying like disney's hunchback and notre dame like not that they were trying to separate yeah. it from but i think for them to bring it to broadway people are going to automate oh disney let me bring the kids so I think like that maybe yeah. was another hesitation, but definitely had heard that as well. Because how do you bring yeah, a choir of? For, yeah. Although I did see it in, I was in Berlin and they were doing a production of it, and I was so one thrilled that I stumbled that they upon they were doing it, mm-hmm. and I went and even though I didn't understand a lick of what they said, I was still crying even more than like. <laughs> yeah. Well, it start. I think the first. Uh, and I'm sure someone is going to correct me. No, uh, I love all the comments. Uh, <laughs> but um, I believe the first professional production of Hunchback with the Disney score was in Germany. Um, they utilized projections and some really cool stuff. And so the Germans love Hunchback. It's done really, really well over there because they're also not afraid of a darker show. Um, and I, you know, I do think the darkness had a lot to do with it because Disney theatrics is a very family-driven business model. And so to then suddenly have a show open but it might not be a bad idea for them you know that i don't know if they were still reeling from the cause you know they had a couple flops in there or not flops but just things that didn't do well with like little mermaid and tarzan um so i don't know if they're still apprehensive on that or if they knew they had frozen on the on the um the back burner at that point i don't know what the timeline was for that but yeah i I think it's a shame hunchback never came um my favorite thing that i ever heard that also never came that i was so but apparently i don't know if this is true but i heard from i heard from a friend of a friend and i also believe everything i hear is fact so don't (laughs) um but um apparently they did like a test of like a muppet musical apparently in the new amsterdam yes like before aladdin went into it or when aladdin was in the process of going into it and they had like apparently like 80 muppets and they had them all around the theater and like statler and waldorf in one of the little like boxes and they had like just to like test the sight lines apparently and they had like five full-on numbers that they did apparently and they were like the they were going to do it like sort of like a muppet show and then have a different guest host every month um, which I think, like, would have been... Like, one, like, people love them up. And, like, well, I mean, I think they do anyway. And, like, to have a different host come in every month with, like... I don't know. I think I, I was so, so bummed when I heard that it... Well, that never happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, yeah, when I was... So this all coincided while I was a cast member in 2013 at Disney. is when I was doing my college program. They were doing a test. I believe this was after Mary Poppins had closed in the New Am. Um, prior to Aladdin. And yeah, they were testing out the capability of doing a live Muppets musical and what that would mean and what it would undertake. And so it was an invited thing. It was real hard to get tickets, but if you work for the company, it was very strange. But yeah, they did. I I had a friend that went and said they did Rainbow Connection and I would have wept. I don't know if I could have been consolable um, (laughs) seeing that, but I'm I'm with you. Um, my, My dad also really loved the Muppets and it's where... 
I'm so thankful for him for so much of like my love of things as an adult. Um, but I love that idea of a live Muppet show. I think it's so cool and it's something that Disney hasn't done yet um, at all. And I think it would be really cool. So well, I mean, they have the not... one at Disney World, like that little um, great moment. Yeah. Thing. Although they just canceled it, didn't they? They just closed it because of, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of opinions about that. <laughs> Um, cause I go, I go to the parks quite often and I love, I love that. But yeah, they just pulled it because of the entertainment operating costs. Um, which really makes me sad, but Muppets vision is still over in Hollywood studios for now. For now. So Muppets have a little bit of a presence, but I guess for me, also, they're such they an important part of my cancel life. their show that was going to be on Disney plus. Yeah. Yeah. The I think unscripted Muppet show, which I mean, there's a lot of cost that comes with it. Um, which is a bummer, but you know I get it. But I hate that the Muppets always seem to be the first thing to get pulled. Um, also, uh, did you are you a Disney Cruise fan? Um, I haven't gone yet, but I think I think what they do is fascinating. You a hundred percent need to go and go immediately because you'll lose your absolute mind. And I like had friends who for years were like desperate to get me on the Disney Cruise, and I was like. I mean, I love Disney to death, but, like, that just doesn't seem like... I'm not, like, a cruise kind of person, and, like, it's just going to... Like, I was like, I don't want to lay in a lounge chair and have 75,000 kids screaming around, have Mickey Mouse walk by. Like, I don't... Exactly. I don't, I don't understand the full appeal. And then I had friends who, like, took me... I think they treated me maybe for, like, my birthday or something. And, like, I was, like... Not that I was at all ungrateful, but I wasn't. I was like, I don't even want to use my vacation day. Like secretly in my head, I was happy that they were doing it. But I was like, and then I went and I like was totally enamored. Like we had the greatest time, and I was like crying literally. Like they had to, like drag me off that ship at the end of the sailing. And it's like it's- like total immersion. If you're like a Disney fan at all, like the Disney details around and the service and one like the food and everything is great but like my favorite part is the shows for sure and also it's just like pure cat for a disney fan like the disney trivia name that tune and this and that like everywhere and animation classes and it's just like more than you can possibly do in a day on there but then the shows are so 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 great and they had um the villains tonight show which i'm like so sad is gone but that was like the closest thing i had to like the hercules well, they also had, before I went on the cruise, they did have a Hercules musical in the show with Hercules the Muse-ickle, which I think... <laughs> oh, cute, cute, that's cute. <laughs> um, which I need to find a video of, because I'm sure it's out there. But also, like, the, oh, for some yeah, reason... there's definitely a video online. I'm sure, but, like, the, the videos of the cruise shows never translate as to how great they are in person. Yeah. I mean, I guess any show doesn't. But, um, anyway, Villains Tonight... Do you know anything about, or have you seen any? Yes. Oh, I've, I've, I've watched many of the videos because it's one of the few times that there's like an Ursula because she's a difficult character to have in the park. So it's one of the few times that we've seen like a, an Ursula like character. On yeah. And Ursula and also Yzma. What? <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like totally. Th- and it was like, and then they had uh, Dr. Facilia and then he got cut, I guess his number, I think like, apparently they said like too many kids were scared or like the, the show was oh, running yeah, long. That does make sense. Yeah. Um, because his number, they had like 30 foot tall, like shadow people who's like, were dancing <sighs> behind him and like his arms would like, kind of like come out into the audience. I remember like their are like, they were like puppet, like kind of like the, 
Yeah. I don't know how to explain. But anyway, that got cut. And apparently, like, it just wasn't a popular show, so now it's not on the ship anymore. But I was so happy that I got to, I got to see it a, a few times. And yeah. Like, I remember oh, seeing yeah, it. Because on the cruise, you have, like, two – you can either eat dinner at 6 or 8, and then you have your show – at six or eight, depending on which, how you do it. So either you like have dinner, then see the show or you see the show and then have dinner. And I remember seeing that and I was like, can I skip dinner and go see the show again? (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, but like Hades was in that and he like would ad lib quite a lot. You can tell. And like, it was so, cause I mean the whole premise of the show, if anyone doesn't know is like, the fates come down to the underworld and Hades is like throwing a party down there and they're like, this isn't hell, this is like Club Med. And they're like, like if you don't make hell evil enough, you're going to be dethroned. So he calls upon like all the Disney villains to make hell like evil again. So he calls Maleficent and Ursula and Yzma and Captain Hook and whatever. And it's just like hilarious and great. Interesting. Yeah, that's so fun. Yeah, but anyway, so... um, that Hades was always great because he was got able to ad lib quite a bit. But Roger Bart was so so great as Hades in uh, the Public Works production. I hope that he mm-hmm. stays on. I hope that that whole cast because also Krista Rodriguez is like the most perfect Meg there could be. Like she, I don't know. I couldn't think yeah. of any better casting for that. Like she's a sassy and like strong willed and I don't know. As she was perfect and her. I won't say I'm in love. I think I posted a video of it too because she, um, as she did a show at Fifty Four Below, like a cabaret, and performed that mm-hmm. there. It was just so great. Oh, I love that Roger Bart was in the show because he's the singing voice of Young Hercules in the movie. And so I was like, that's one of those really nice ways. Now, I do have to say, if it comes back to Broadway, I would love for Lilius White to come and be one of the muses again because she's so iconic for me and I love her and all of her Broadway stuff. But like, um, I know she's older. I don't know if she'd be up for it, but I would love to have her voice back in the mix as one of the muses. The muses? Um, like a permanent... I mean, the the muses were, I mean, they had them, like, number one, their outfits every time they came out were, like, top-notch. There's a moment where they come out in these, like, army green, like, Beyonce, like, like Destiny's Child jumpsuits, and, like, then there's, like, a number where, like, Hercules is being trained, you know, that, like, um, and they're, like, in, like, workout outfits, like, they're doing, like, oh, this. so, the whole thing was so great. I, I, I was, oh, man, I'm so hoping that it, it doesn't end there i was thinking what may happen sometimes last the last public work show that got as much of a like splash as this one did they extended it the following summer and did it in the yeah. same theater like the whole summer that was when they did 12th night so i was like oh maybe they'll do that at least like bring it back but it would be better if it was circling the square and like running yeah. longer terms so that more people get to yeah. see it yeah, I would love to see them like announce an out of town to see if it's going to be if they can go drop it into a, a theater space somewhere and and make a not even a commercial run, but see if they can make a smaller version work. Because um, like if they were to even bring it back to the Delacorte, I doubt they would bring back the entire two hundred people. Um, uh, for you know, if they did a four week run of the show, I would, but I would love to see them just because people have been begging for it for so long. 
Um, and Frozen's doing so well. I think five productions are opening this year uh, in other countries on a national tour. So they're doing okay. I would love to see them kind of take a shot and... And um, also the Frozen on the do. cruise, by the way, is, I think is like my favorite staging of it. The like I heard it's really good. I heard it's really really good. I mean, the Broadway one is is great too, but the one on the cruise, I'm also determined. So my friend runs Gay Days at Disneyland. Um, oh, and I mean, I think I may be wrong, but I think it was like he and his boyfriend they run the Gay Days at both parks. And then they split up years ago, so one runs the one at Disney World and one runs the one at Disneyland. <laughs> so I um, and he was like one who was also a big like also obsessed with the Disney cruise. And I was like, why don't you ever do like a gay days on the cruise? Because one, there's always like a handful of gays on the cruise and you always find each other. And like, I don't know, Disney somehow magically seats you to get, cause you can either sit at your own table or they'll like seat you with mm-hmm. other people if you want. And like nine times out of 10, when I've been on the cruise, like they somehow seat up, sit me with other gays. I don't know. But, um, I was like, it would be more fun if there was like a big, group of gays but he also mm-hmm. i think runs like aids walk san francisco and he runs aids walk new york and he's like has a, he's like i'm not taking on another event <laughs> so i was thinking of possibly doing that myself maybe of like coordinating a little mini like i know that gay days at the parks is not like officially disney sanctioned i mean like they book it just as if it's a group of any other group and i mean although they do certainly pander now that they sell like rainbow cakes and rainbow this Mm -hmm. and they're finally Mm -hmm. like and Mm -hmm. then they finally have their first gay event at disneyland Paris. Paris. Yeah. yeah so um but anyway i would be happy to do it even unofficially just like try to coordinate and book it as like a group so we can all be in like the same dining rotation and all like i don't know but i I think it would be the cruise like especially for like someone who's a disney fan it's just Mm -hmm. like i don't know i'm trying to like figure out the logistics if it's possible but um i'm trying and like they do like mixology classes and all sorts of like beverage seminars on the cruise i think you can book like if you are a group on this ship you can book that for your group you know and i was like how great would it be to have them do like a villain cocktail mixology <sighs> somewhere and like, you? Like, yes. Yes. so yes. i'm like trying to figure out the logistics if it's possible and if i were to do it i probably want to do it on the dream just because it has the beauty and the beast mm-hmm. show so mm-hmm. it goes along with the guest on Oh, the new Beauty and the Beast show. Oh, it's so pretty. Listen, you plan this, Don't Look and Dreams will be there. Everybody, you know what, I will come. If you do this, that will be the time that I get on a Disney cruise ship. (laughs) That sounds, actually, I think it sounds brilliant. And I'm surprised they haven't done like, um, like, you know, because they do like Star Wars Day at Sea, Marvel Day at Sea. I'm surprised they haven't done something during June. Because listen, if they tacked, even if that, like, it got tacked on at the beginning or the end of Magical Weekend in June, like, or, well, Gay Days was different than that this year. It was in August. But, like, if you tapped on the beginning or the end, I feel like everybody would come. I would think, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. I was trying to figure out when to do it. Um, I feel like the crowd that goes to, Gay Days at California is very different from the crowd that goes to Gay Days in Florida. I mean, the ones in California, I feel like it's more like, 
I don't want to say wholesome, but it's more just like pure Disney fans. Whereas yeah. in Florida, it kind of gets like a little more of a circuit party vibe. I think it's like a mix of both. Like you do have the pure Disney purists, but then you have like people like screwing around the bushes at like Typhoon Lagoon. And I'm like, I mean, yeah. and like, I mean, not that I'm prude by any means, but like there's a time and place and Disney is not the place. Like also yeah. like get caught screwing in the bushes at Disney and you're like banned for life. Like I could, would not yeah. risk. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I had that issue this year because I've gone the last two years, and so magical week for anybody that doesn't know who's outside of the gay gay sphere. There's always a couple things that are planned, um, and it's when like everyone comes from all around and they're different groups. There's the gay days group. There's the um, one magical weekend group. There's their tidal wave pool party. That all kind of tend to exist together and this year um they separated gay days and one magical weekend they just ended up being on different weekends and i went on one magical weekend and it was a lot different it was a lot of um more of like a new york pride feel so everybody in as little clothing as they could be in the parks and granted it's the end of may it's very hot but like it was also white party at parliament house and so i agree with you it kind of got a lot of those like Vibes of yeah, and like um, by all means. I mean, I'm all for like be you yeah, and all absolutely. that. Like I have no like, but I also would be hesitant maybe to tie on this with that because like I don't like this is not going to be like an Atlantis cruise. Like I want to like make right. sure everyone is aware of that. Like it's still a very family cruise, and like on the cruise they do a good job of if you're not with kids, if you're adults, you can. Yeah, like there's tons of adult only areas, adult only pools, the gym, the spas, adult only. There's adult only dining, the excursions off the ship. You, so you mm-hmm. can not like avoid children if you want to, but then also like, right. but like I don't think like I don't know. I, like it's definitely not a gay cruise by any means. Like this would just be yeah, a little no, gay yeah. meetup or gathering that happens to be on like you know there. So like I. Yeah. Well, I'm still figuring it out. I also kind of would love to do it in October, just because then, like, the whole cruise gets taken over. And it's like Halloween. Oh yeah, Disney. Yeah. So yeah, then, like, be cool. then everyone will get another opportunity to wear a costume because there's always like the pirate night on the ship. But I think it would be fun to have like also a Halloween night where everyone can dress up. Because I don't know. That would, that I mean, be exciting. Actually, have you seen the politician? On Netflix? Um, not yet, no. Not yet, but Jessica Lang has, like, a moment. She's like, I don't know if you saw that line. She's like, what is she saying? Like, she's like, that's what gays do. Munch butts and eat and dress up for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that gift going around, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so I was like, I'm sure gays would love to have an opportunity to dress up in some Halloween costumes and such. So, I don't know, I'm still figuring it out. But I will definitely <laughs> let you know once I figure it out. Yeah, yeah, that'd be brilliant. So I've got one last question for you. We've talked about, you know, Hercules, and we're hoping it comes to Broadway. If anyone from Disney Theatrics is listening, please, please bring it. I thank yes. you. If you need a designer, call me. I have my master's now. I will by the time it ends. Call me. Um, what is another Disney movie that you would love to see make the Broadway jump? Um... Probably either Moana or Princess and the Frog. 
I would love Princess and the Frog. I was thinking about that the other morning of how actually, and I think they kind of set the movie up in a way that it's very much structured like a Broadway musical uh, anyway. So I thought it would make a really great, and then Milana would just be beautiful. I think just also I feel like another like an expanded Lin Manuel score would just be so cool. And Umi, he's a Broadway bat. It's where they found him. So, um, you know, it'd be very very cool to see that happen. Yeah, I love Princess and the Frog so much. I just love New Orleans, and I love. Um, like everything about that's my third favorite yeah. of any Disney movie and Moana the music is just so beautiful and it was like I remember like there's like the moment in Princess and the Frog when I was sitting in the movie theater and also when Princess and the Frog came out I love that like Disney in New York anyway they had like a tie-in like you can go see the movie yeah. at and then they had like you can meet all the Disney princesses after and you met them mm-hmm. like in order so it was like Snow White, and then Snow, like you went through all the like, and then the last one you got to meet was Tiana, like in the which yeah one anyway. I just totally remember that, but that moment where Ray's family lights the way, uh, yeah. I just remember like sheer just like the that's like sheer Disney magic in that moment, and then in Moana, um, I think like the moment where I got that same feeling was when you see the grandmother. It's like the spirit as the oh singer. yes yeah. oh, oh you mean the third time I have to cry during that movie yeah 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 <laughs> um, so I don't know and those are two movies that you're like how the heck would they ever put that on a stage but then also how the heck would they put a stampede of wildebeest down a canyon while Mufasa gets thrown off and stampled they did it so I'm, I'm sure they listen. If anyone can do it, Disney can do it. Yeah. I got to tour the Frozen backstage in the costume facilities, and listen, if they can do it, they're going to do it, because Disney, Disney got money. As long as they spend it correctly, Disney got money. <laughs> yeah, and they also just well, do things, like, in general, I think, like, right, and, like, with such... And well, I remember there's this amazing interview that I'm obsessed with, from Broadway.com, like one of their show people interviews with Cher Renee Scott when she was Ursula. One, it's like yeah. the best 28 minutes of your life. If you can go find this interview, watch it. But like she's talking about, he asked her about Little Mermaid, and he's like, you know, you don't really do like traditional musicals. Like you sometimes take risks and do things, and you did Little Mermaid. And um, she's just absolutely hilarious and so brilliant. But she was talking about how. Like, it was such a greatly creative process because she's like, we're in, like, the workshop and we're in, like, and it's literally just people throwing out all sorts of ideas. And, like, mm-hmm. literally they're just, oh, like, because they have that, like, whole blue sky process of just, like, anything you think of, just throw it out and then we'll see yeah, what sticks yeah. and whatever. And, like, I know people have their problems with Little Mermaid and fine, but um, she's like, I'm sitting there and I'm dressed like this. And Norm Lewis is dressed like how he was. And Sierra Ba just goes by on heelies. And, like, we have a character that's name is literally, like, Sigu or, like, Algae Residue. And I'm just looking at us and being like, um, how did we get here? And <laughs> and where is here, by the way? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I do love that, like, they allow for that process of just, like, all right, let's go crazy and just totally so like I'm eager to see what comes next you know like with if Moana or Princess and the Frog or who knows I heard rumor are they bringing Beauty and the Beast back as a revival is that yes there's there's a revival revival coming and I'm hoping there was a really cool non-union tour 
probably about 10 years, years, years ago now, now that was, I believe, networks. I know someone's going to correct me out there. But it looked like an old traditional, like, French or German, like, children's book. And so all the, the style of the costumes and scenic were very specific and childlike. And it looked really cool. And I love that new production on the cruise ship that's patterned after the live action. But I think the design is really beautiful. And so I, would, I hope all of those things kind of coalesce because I... Worked on a production two summers ago um, at a theater in Pennsylvania, and it was really interesting. Kind of, we used a rental package from the theater and kind of seeing how other people have kind of done. There's this one vision of what Beauty and the Beast looks like, and I would love to see that kind of flipped on its head um, and give that permission to, you know, it. Bell doesn't have to be in a yellow dress always. I mean, there are these little things that I think I would love to see. You know, it's iconic because it's a Disney movie, but I would love to see them kind of go all in and like re give us a new version of what Beauty and the Beast is. I feel I people would lose their mind if she wasn't in a yellow dress. <laughs> but heaven forbid she not be in that yellow dress. Heaven forbid. But um, the the cruise version is so great because, like you said, it is a total hybrid of one the original stage version to the movie and three the recent live action so there's definitely like inspirations by all three um and i would but part of me also says like why one i i think beat in the beast was i think the first musical i ever saw i remember coming to the city to see that and um one thing i'm so bummed i missed was aida like if I oh. could have a Broadway time machine and go back to see one yeah. show, that would be my pick. But um, a part of me is like, why are you doing a revival when there's so many other things you can do? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, well you know, revivals make money. It would be their first revival, but I also heard that they're gonna revive Aida. Now that could just be a rumor, but I love Aida. Is my favorite Disney musical. I think it is. It is my. It's so beautiful, um, and I would love to see that come back with with all of the, the new talent that we have to, and they could write some wrongs casting wise that happened the first time, um, that are just some creative decisions that were made, but I think it'd be really cool to see. But I, I agree with you. I think we're at a point where all, most of the musicals are movie musicals or biopic musicals. I would love to see them adapt their first original musical using key Disney artists and abilities, but like, do their first original musical or adapt something that they've never adapted before. I think that could be a really, really cool opportunity for them. I don't know if they would ever make that jump, but I think it would be, I mean, now's the time. If they're going to do it, they should do it. The trailer for that TV show Encore. That's going to be Disney Yeah. It looks mm-hmm. so adorable. I cannot believe how cute it does. that looks. Um, it does. And I'm happy to hear that you're such a big theater fan as well because that's my oh, yeah. biggest passions are Disney and Broadway and to have them Mine combine too. with Disney on Broadway is always um, I'm in the midst of trying to write a musical at the moment um, which like I don't know I'm in the market for a composer but um, I don't know I just going out and seeing as much like any night that I'm free in New York I'm seeing mm-hmm. a show whether it's on Broadway, off Broadway, cabaret, or this or that, but I think it's just so, and I think that's also part of why I love the cruise so much because you literally go see a show every night. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, yeah. what is but like dinner and a show? Like it's my ideal night, and you get to do it every night. Um, yeah, mine too. <laughs> mine too, frankly. <laughs> uh, awesome. 
Great. Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. This has been a great journey. We talked about Hercules. We talked about Disney on Broadway. Um, we'll have to have you back when I want to do a Disney on Broadway episode where we just kind of pick apart the history and like what's worked, what hasn't, and just kind of talk about that legacy. So I'd love to have you back on. Are there any projects or anything that you're working on uh, for that you want the uh, audience to know about? Or, um, Well, I'm... I think, like I said, I'm just eyeing on uh, hoping to. I did actually got to do this whole gallery show for Pride, which was because I of me as Gaston, because I kind of like mm-hmm. through the eyes of different artists. Like I reached out to like 20 different artists around the city that I love and had them either shoot a photo of me or like draw, fo- like because I was kind of like playing on the how I like my. I think, like, as a gay man, you're kind of, like, drawn to what you deem to be sexy and attractive, but then you also, like, kind of want to aspire to be that. And, like, mine all kind of stems from that first reckoning with Gaston. So, like, it was kind of like yeah. a joke of how I, like, kind of grown up to become a Gaston type. So I had them all kind of, like, do photos or create arts in their medium, in their style, of me as Gaston in their style. So I... Got to do that, which was really awesome to get to work with so many great people and see what they create and help them be creative. Um, as I mentioned, I'm writing a musical, which um, I was writing as a collection of short stories, but this psychic stopped me on the street and told me to turn it into a musical. And <laughs> I don't know that necessarily. Are you, sir- Are you kidding me? A psychic stopped you on the street and told you to turn it into a musical? Yeah. <laughs> not that I necessarily you- believe in psychics or not. I would never like go to a psychic I don't think but like she just came Um, up to me on 7th Avenue and like she's like your aura has called me over here you are sitting on gold the project that you're working on is going to be a huge huge success however the path that you're taking it down right now is going to lead you to a dead end she's like think about your passions think about your interests think about how you'd like to spend your time and redirect this project down a path that's better aligned with that passion and that's where the true success is going to happen. And the reason why I'm in your life right now at this moment is to bump you onto that right path because this project needs to happen. And I expected her then to ask me for money or follow her to her shop, and there's nothing. She just turned around and walked away as if nothing. And I was thinking in my head, like, what could she possibly have been referring to? And the only project that I've been working on regularly was writing this collection of short stories that I was writing and I was about to pursue getting it published and looking for like uh, writing query letters to get an agent. And then I was like, well, my biggest passion like is theater. I think it's the most magical art form in the world in the sense that like you have these performers doing their art. You have the set designers doing their art and the um, musicians who are performing live for you getting to do their art. And you have like uh, the director and, creating his vision and you have the composers and you have literally hundreds of people who have collaborated doing their art passion all working together to entertain me sitting in this chair and like every night it's different and you have like just I don't know like you see a photo and whatever or a painting and yes it is someone's art and sometimes there's collaboration involved but there's no other art form that is as collaborative as theater and it's even a collaboration with the audience because like I see my favorite shows 18 times and based on what that audience is 
feeling like things that weren't funny the night before are hilarious this night and things that weren't like I don't know so I was like maybe she means this is meant to be a show not a book and then once she said that idea popped in my head that's the only way I see it so now I've been working on translating it from short story to script um and I just need I mean I don't write music so I do need a composer I have a few in mind um that I maybe want to reach out to and see but it kind of has become like it seems like it always was meant to be that so we'll see so I'm working on that one day down the line and I mean what it's about essentially is I did a study abroad in Florence um, and lived with this woman who was a shopping assistant by day, ballerina by night. Her apartment was on top of Gucci. She spoke no English. I spoke no Italian. And it's kind of like about my relationship with her. She's kind of like my Italian Auntie Mame, kind of. But also, like, I had my my first boyfriend while I was there. And, like, not that it's necessarily a coming-out tale, but definitely self-acceptance is like a thread of it um but yeah there's I mean also the relationship was kind of an abusive one um Mm -hmm. and because he was my first love and I was like completely head over heels with him I let it go on longer than I should have um and I think that like men on the receiving end of abuse is like something that's kind of not that it's taboo but it's not well represented or discussed well, and it's, it's not, not talked about, about. It's, it's just not talked about. about at all yeah and because you're supposed to be the man who could stand up for yourself and uh like it's like ultra humiliating because of that you don't tell anyone so because and because you're not talking to it talking to anyone about it you kind of like I'm sure if I mentioned it to any of my friends at the time they would have like smacked me out of it and kind of like gave me the like courage to get out of it quicker than I did Mm -hmm. um so for me it's important for this story to come out just so that it is at least in the conversation a little bit more and I think anyone male woman or anyone like whatever identity anyone has regardless just like to help Mm -hmm. realize your self-worth and that you don't need to I mean, I was madly in love with this person who I was like, I'm not going to find anyone better than this. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, mm-hmm. you will. You'll find someone who treats you right. You know, um, but uh, so like that's the meat of the show. But I also don't want it like to be a heavy show, which is like, right. like, like I don't want, like I think Dear Evan Hansen is great, but that's not what I want. Like I, I don't want it to be a so show heavy. that like, like yeah. you, you come out feeling like emotionally wrung out. Like I want right. it to be right. like kind of like the way Hairspray handles mm-hmm. like racism, mm-hmm. that theme. Like they, they give it like the respect the issue deserves and they handle it in a way to get their point across and it is poignant, but the show is like still fun. Like, like, yeah. like, yeah. and you, I can go see Hairspray twenty three times. And like, Dear Evan Hansen, I'm not going to go see twenty three times. I think it's great. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. I saw it, but I'm not like eager to run back and see it multiple times. So, like, I wanted yeah. to handle this issue, which, in a similar way, like with the respect it deserves and getting the point across, but then also 
like you have an American abroad for the first time and like all the cultural clashes mm-hmm. and like getting mm-hmm. to see Italy for the first time and like I don't know so it's and the zany diva type of character mm-hmm. which I think is like she's like perfect like a Broadway diva and also there's just so much on Broadway that is all based on a movie or based on a book or yeah. based on a revival or um, based on a song canon so I'm excited to have something completely original um, great that's amazing, amazing. so I, I mean I love it, that. yeah so we'll see what comes of it um, but that and my little gay days meet up on the cruise it's gonna be a, yes which I think I'm gonna call the gay gathering just to go along with the gay yes yes, yes. <laughs> I love that well, that is brilliant. And so, listen, if anyone's out there that is a budding composer that's just got some really cool things to do, reach out to our friend. Uh, you guys put the show together. I'll find the money. We'll put it up. We'll make it happen. Uh, so where can our audience at home find you on the interwebs? Uh, so I have it's the gay Gaston on Instagram. And then do you have a Patreon as well? Oh, yes, I do have a Patreon, yeah. <laughs> so on Which there, is for some adult eyes only, but... Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's not like an OnlyFans. It's decidedly not right. that. But, um, <laughs> um, I mean, there are some things that are on there that are a little naughtier than could be put on Instagram, I guess. But, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily agree that we need to, like, censor our bodies and things like that. I agree. Like, I mean, I, I, I mean... Or even, like, sex for that matter. Like, I think, like, the American, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Like, you see a European movie and it's just like, you know, like, sex is a part of everyone's life. Like, why does it have to be so mm-hmm. taboo or censored? Um, and not that that's what I'm putting on my Patreon. It's not. But, like, I have, like, behind-the-scenes videos of photo shoots and things like that. And I, like, get mm-hmm. photos back from photographers and I'm, like, massively indecisive. So they send me ten photos back and I'm like, all right, which of these do I like best? I don't know. So I usually put them all on there and let them vote on their favorite. And those are the ones I moved in. And then also there's, like, some photo shoots that I do that are, like, let me put on a unicorn head and see how that looks. And, like, things that I don't, think, <laughs> like, turn out that great but I think are, like, fun to do. And I'll put those on there and just, I mean, for people who like what I put out there, it's just, like, more content and behind-the-scenes yeah. stuff like that. So And then they oh, get to, like, voice their opinion of what they want to see yeah. more of and, like I said, vote for what makes it to Instagram and such. So that, yeah, that. just... That's so good. That's awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute joy. No, I just wanted to add that since we've recorded this episode, our friend the Gay Gaston has gotten his dream cruise set up, and it's called the Gay Gathering 2020, and I hope that the only one will not be in 2020. So if you want all of the information on the gayest, most fabulous Disney cruise that's ever going to happen, if you follow the Gay Gathering 2020 on Instagram, it's going to set uh, set out on the Disney Dream September 18th through the 21st for Halloween on the high seas. Again, for all the information you need to know about the Gay Gathering, check out the Gay Gathering 2020 on Instagram. It's going to be so much fun, and I hope to see everyone there.
Thanks again for tuning in, Dreamers. As always, you've been landing us on the top charts of the U.S. and Australia, and we cannot thank you enough. Your five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews keep us there every episode. Now, if you haven't left those yet, head over to Apple Podcasts or our new friends at Podchaser and leave those now. Share us with your friends on social media and a pledge of only $2 a month. That's right, just two bucks. Two bucks, that's not even a Starbucks coffee. Helps keep the show going and helps me bring on more artists to help and make the best show we possibly can. A shout out to our new audio engineer and digital editor, David White. You are literally making the show incredible. Thank you so, so much. Now join us again next time where guest Rachel Corky Shank and I figure out just why everybody wants to be a cat as we take a deep dive into the classic Aristocats. And as always, may your days be filled with Dole Whip and dreams.